Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Heavenly Father, we are just continually grateful for your goodness in our lives. Lord, we're grateful to be able to be gathered tonight together as a spiritual family of brothers and sisters. Lord, we're grateful for the time to worship you through music and singing and also learning your word. And right now we look to you, Holy Spirit, It says in the scriptures, you're the spirit of truth who leads us and guides us into all truth. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do your thing. Move our hearts in the direction of truth. Open the word to us. Teach us the scriptures so that we leave this place more connected to you. More connected to what's true. More connected to the story of the Bible your love for us, make these truths that I'm going to share, make them real, Holy Spirit. And uh, I pray, help me as a communicator. Uh, I'm weak, I'm human, but would you strengthen me for this time in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. So we are continuing along in our studies in the Book of Acts series. So we've been doing this for three or four weeks now. And tonight we're going to go over some of the general themes or the more important themes that you would find through the 28 chapters of Acts. I think these are very important to be familiar with. Uh, I have there on the introduction that there's probably, you know, four or six or eight more that you could put on these notes, but I I can't go much past midnight. That's That's the running joke. So we have, I have eight uh, themes or eight important kind of general points that show up in the book of Acts that I think are prominent enough that we, you know, it, it deserves discussion. It deserves knowing and kind of being familiar with because if this is how God started the church, we would naturally expect that we would see some of these show up throughout church history and into today. Because Jesus has never changed, Uh, his plan for the church has never changed, so he's not going to have some radically different approach. The approach he uses is the one we see in the Bible. And so the book of Acts, for those not familiar, you know, I'm doing 28 chapters in about a half hour tonight, it is the story of when the church began. And so the things that Jesus did in those earliest of the early moments are so instructive because what we read is this is what the the church is to look like now culture changes we're not going to all you know go back to 2000 year old medieval windows and buildings but the values you know much has changed in 2000 years but the value system that is in God's heart for 
his people and his church is it's unchanged. And so I have a little bit more on that idea in letter A. And then letter B, I just want to, to kind of uh, to kind of put this in terms that we would understand a little better, is to think of the book of Acts like a movie. You know, some of my favorite movies, and maybe, you know, you're, a movie will come to mind when I mention this. Some of my favorite movies, uh-oh, there goes the fan. <laughs> that'll, that'll happen once or twice. Some of my favorite movies, you know, there will be some really intense scene right when the movie unfolds and there will be some something super dramatic and then you know it'll end and then it'll say 30 years ago will be the next scene and so so those some of those uh you know movies that that i enjoy you know they'll have that kind of you'll see the end right at the beginning and then it'll say you know 30 years ago and then we get the whole story the rest of the movie, and then we get back to the conclusion. And what, when I think of the book of Acts, you know, I've literally been reading it forwards and backwards to get familiar with this story. And if you imagine the book of Acts, you know, the last few chapters, there's these epic voyages over the sea, there's shipwrecks, there's revivals on remote islands. There's miracles happening. There is the craziest things happening. And so if that's the beginning of the movie, we see Paul on a, you know, a maritime adventure and then a shipwreck and then an angel appears and then they're in Malta and the whole village gets healed and people are getting saved. You're like, oh my goodness, how did this story begin? And then if you back all the way up to the beginning of the movie, we see a prayer gathering. In Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see 120 in the upper room, and we need to link the two together. Because at the very beginning of the book of Acts, we have what seems like a very unimpressive prayer meeting. But at the end of the book of Acts, we have these crazy gospel adventures, island revivals, resurrection, healings. I mean, we have it all. And, and the Holy Spirit wants us to look at each bookend of the book of Acts and say that's connected to that and everything in between. You know, some people look at Acts 25, 26, 27, 28, and they say, I want that. I want to travel the seas and get in shipwrecks, and, you know, I want to do revival on the islands. And the Holy Spirit says, then back all the way up and look at 1, 2, 3, and 4 and see what they did there. If you do that, eventually it gets there. And the, the spirit, I believe, is breathing on the book of Acts. He wants us to reorient ourselves with that narrative because this is going to unfold in coming revivals. This is going to unfold in cities on the earth where groups pray, the spirit breaks in, the church grows, and on and on and on. These themes, they continue to play out in history and in time and hopefully in the future. We need to understand some of these, uh, some of these themes because the Lord is desirous that we would, we would walk in them. I think, okay, my daughter, <laughs> I was wondering where my daughter went. And so I've got eight themes that I want to touch on briefly tonight. 
eight themes. And again, there could be maybe a couple that you're thinking of like, oh, Kissner forgot that one. I can't add all, you know, I can't put everything. But these to me, these really jump off the pages of the book of Acts. Of the 28 chapters we have, these are very important. And, and the first theme I would like to highlight is this idea of promise. The book of Acts, actually, if you go before the prayer meeting that we always start in, before the prayer meeting, you have a promise that is given. The book of Acts begins with a promise. We know that in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, Guys, I'm going to leave. But it's to your advantage that I go because I'm going to send a helper. Now, again, if I'm back there 2,000 years ago going, Lord, I'm pretty sure it's better if you just stay with us. I don't know about this helper guy, but why do, you know, it'd be really nice if you just stayed and said, hey, Derek, you do this and you do that and you know, just kind of guide us. And he's thinking, guys, there's going to be millions and billions of you eventually. I can't be everywhere physically. I need to put my spirit on you and in you, and that spirit will guide you as effectively as me, but that spirit can be everywhere. It can be inside you. And so there's this promise in Acts 1-4. It says, the command was to wait for the promise of the Father. That promise of the Father, of course, is the Holy Spirit, the Helper. That was the promise, and so the disciples, I've talked about this for years, the disciples didn't just do nothing with the promise. They took the promise into a prayer meeting. And if you take the promises of God into a prayer meeting, there's eventually a birthing. Many people are given promises, and they do nothing with it, and they're like, well, why didn't I see God do anything in my life? Well, God spoke to you because he wanted you to pray into that and he wanted you to really contend for that because then in the praying and the contending, we're changed. That's how we wrestle with God. That's how Jacob became Israel. There has to be a wrestling. There has to be a taking serious of what God says. We can't just do nothing. We do our part, God does our part. And so they, as a community... They take that promise into prayer and they're like, Lord, we're here. We don't know what to do. We just know that we pray if you give us a promise. And I've joked for years about this, but I mean, this is a Middle Eastern prayer meeting 2,000 years ago. Okay, so there's no air conditioner. The windows are tiny. It's very hot. There's no like little bottles of water passed around. Those don't exist. If you want water, go hike a few miles and get some water out of the well. And so they had no smoke machines, no lights, no anything that we have. All they had was a promise and the most raw, barren, unanointed, no Holy Spirit prayer meeting you could ever imagine. That's what they had going for them. Literally, the Holy Spirit had not been granted to the earth yet, but that prayer meeting was going to swing that door. That, That prayer meeting was the hinge. They didn't really know it. So they pray day one, day two, day three, day four. I'm thinking on day four, a couple of the little babies running around kind of have a mess in the pants and it's stinky and no showers, you know. And I'm, I'm thinking there was some arguments here and there. I'm thinking it got real raw. Day five, day six, day seven, day seven or eight, the fireworks begin to go off. The spirit breaks in, tongues of fire You know, all of the Acts 2 story that we're familiar with suddenly breaks forth 
and now everything's different. I don't ever want to graduate from this. If God has given you a promise, you pray into it until there's a suddenly and a breakthrough. I don't care if it takes you a week, like with them, or a month, or a year, or a decade, or the rest of your life. It's worth it to take that promise and say, God, you spoke it. I have no idea what to do with it other than keep praying. Eventually, there will be a birthing. Eventually, there, there will be a breakthrough. This just happened to be the most historic breakthrough in nearly the history of the earth. The Spirit comes, and immediately there is like a shockwave. They're speaking in tongues, and people are hearing it going, that's my language. People from all different places are going, they're not just speaking gibberish, they're speaking known languages. And so some tongues are, you know, maybe unknown languages, some are known languages. We, we, I don't know how to figure all that out. But more than just tongues are happening in prophecy, Peter stands up and begins to preach with a new level of boldness and clarity. He begins to take Old Testament scriptures and begin to apply them to this man, Christ Jesus, and people are cut to the heart by it, and they're saying, I want in on this Jesus man. I want in on this Christianity, discipleship, whatever you call it. I want in on what you're preaching. And so number three, there is a revival and a birthing of the church, and that's, that's an understatement. There was a revival of revivals. There weren't just ones and twos getting touched here and there. Thousands were hearing this and getting saved on multiple uh, occasions. I love in uh, Acts uh, 2.41, Acts 4.4, they both use the word thousand, thousands of people immediately impacted by this revival. And so it wasn't just, hey, let's get in a building and kind of act spiritual. There was an immediate impact on culture, an immediate impact on people, and not just like three people, 3,000, 5,000, boom. The things that Jesus was doing, they were doing. So we go from the promise to the prayer to the revival and birth of the church. The fourth prominent theme is gospel proliferation. The gospel begins to saturate whole cultures nearly instantly. People begin spreading the good news all over the place. And um, people begin to preach. People begin to witness. People begin to uh, take the message. And then I love the book of, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 19, verse 20 You'll notice phrases like this sprinkled in the book of Acts, and if you think about them, they're like incredible. In Acts 19.20, this wasn't the year 19.20, but this is Acts 19.20, it says, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The word of the Lord grew mightily and won in that city. That's what it means. The word of the Lord reached a saturation point. The preaching of the gospel reached a saturation point where in the spirit, it, it took over. It won. It went from losing to winning. I mean, think about that. There were so many people getting saved. The Bible says the gospel won there. It prevailed. It took over. 
You'll read things in the Bible about how when the disciples would come into the area, they would comment saying, those people that are turning the world upside down came to our city. That's what they were known for. They were known for turning cities upside down and the world upside down. They brought a message that was so powerful it could take over whole cities in love. Now, most of the history of the earth is used to a takeover in a, in a sense of uh, t- ty- tyrannical behavior or some kind of you know, uh, evil government power moving in. Israel's history is full of you know, waves of takeovers, Babylonian exiles and, and whatnot. This was a takeover of love. This was a takeover where people were more free than ever before. And so some people are like, well, I don't know about, you know, the, I, I want to be moral, but I don't know about, you know, Jesus taking over. And it's like, no, there is more freedom. There is more good. There is more love. There is more everything you can imagine when the gospel takes over. It's a very good thing. And, and some people, they don't recognize the fact that this was happening in huge populous, uh, huge populations. The gospel was winning. It was taking over and the, the regions were better for it. You know, we don't want just a revival in our church, so our church is blessed. We want revival in the whole community. We want revival in the nation. We want re- revival in the ends of the earth. It's better that way. I, and I'm not going to guarantee it's going to be every single place in the whole world. That's, a, I think, a little too optimistic. But as for me in my city... As for me in my central Illinois, if I'm living here and I got my two feet here, might as well believe for the best. Might as well believe for the greatest, most historic revival everywhere. And we're going through this because I don't want us to be confused. This is where it's heading. It's he- we're taking promises into prayer so that revival and the church it goes to a new level so that the gospel is proliferated so that the gospel goes forth so that evangelism takes off. And now number five, here's one of the elements that uh, you're, this is huge. This is a huge element, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, remember, and it was John 16, I believe. I can't remember exactly. John 16, 7 to 15. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go. I'm going to send the Spirit. Well, the Spirit continued the miracles, the signs and the wonders that Jesus did, but not just through Jesus, through all the disciples. And so instead of one man doing them and a few, you know, disciples, every disciple is moving in science. I mean, not all of them at the same level. Paul certainly went to a whole other level. I mean, the book of Acts actually says Paul did unusual miracles. There's an actual verse that says Paul did unusual. Some translations say extraordinary miracles. It's like miracles big enough, but when you put extraordinary in front of miracle, it's like, what is that? And then it says they even took aprons and rubbed aprons on them and handkerchiefs and then sent them to sick people and the people got healed. And it's like, how do you take those verses, scratch them out, throw them away and live as a Christian? I don't get this. I want the stuff Paul moved in and the disciples and all of them, that stuff, we got to see it. The Holy Spirit moved with signs, wonders and miracles. What's unique about the book of Acts, this is, uh, this is important to grasp. There were both positive and negative miracles happening in the book of Acts 
to further increase the fear of the Lord in the locations where the gospel was spreading. Now, this is something that's not commonly taught, but it's prominent through the book of Acts. And any time something really seriously like, ooh, happened, it's, it always says after it, and the fear of the Lord increased. You guys remember when Ananias and Sapphira died? They lied and then they died. And then the fear of the Lord goes to another level. People are like, ooh, I better not, I better not lie around Peter. <laughs> I don't know how this works. Okay, I'm just reporting what the Bible says. Then there was Herod. You remember the story of Herod? He was receiving all the glory from people instead of saying, no, give glory to God. And it says an angel struck him and he was eaten by worms. That's not the way I want to go. So if people start worshiping you, just say, no, God, God, worship him. You don't want to go the way of worms. Then you remember Simon the sorcerer tried to buy the anointing. And so Paul was like, can't do that. You're going to be blind for a while to learn your lesson. So there were positive miracles. There were resurrections from death, healing miracles, all sorts of signs and wonders. But there were also negative ones. And negative is maybe not the best word, but there were very dramatic miracles, both like legs were healed, people getting out of bed. There was one where Paul, it's so funny, he says, hey, rise up and make your bed. (laughs) I was like, you're healed, but still have manners. You know, it was like the funniest verse. I, I just love how the Holy Spirit, make sure you put that one in there. You know, rise up, you're healed, but make your bed. That was in there. So there was really positive, but also ones that it's like, oh, Ananias and Sapphira, why'd you do that? There was a glory resting on that early church that just so many crazy, amazing things were happening. And I believe all this is going to unfold again. There is no indication in Scripture, none, that any of this was to cease happening after the first century. There is absolutely no clear, substantial, systematic understanding of Scripture that would lead anyone to believe that this was supposed to stop after the early apostles died. Now, we know Scripture is very clear. There are many verses that say we don't write extra Bible verses. We don't add to Scripture. We don't take away. Nobody's going to write more to the Bible. There are many cults out there that says, we love the Bible, but then there's our pamphlet. There's our extra testament. There's this, there's that. And there's so many Bible verses that cancel that. Don't believe that. But there is no assurance given that miracles stopped. No assurance at all. And I, my heart goes out to many of our brothers and sisters that believe otherwise. I, I want to help nudge them in the direction of, are you so sure? Because on every page of the Bible, there's signs, wonders, and miracles. Why would God not do that? Why would he stop doing? If the Holy Spirit can't change, and the Holy Spirit was doing signs, wonders, and miracles, why would we say he can't do it now? Well, he can save people, but he can't do other miracles. So he can do the greatest miracle ever, saving the soul, but he can't do lesser miracles? That makes no sense. We cannot overemphasize the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want the same Holy Spirit in my life and in this house of prayer and in this city as I see in this book. There's absolutely no reason we should sign up to any other Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Number six, 
prominent theme is community. Oh my goodness, the, the verses on community that are in the book of Acts. I love Acts 2, 44 to 47. It says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They didn't become socialists. They became Christian. They loved each other. The government didn't have to tell them, you got to give all your goods to the state. No, there was an internal witness. Oh, I've got more than that guy. I should give to that guy. Because that's what Jesus would do. Some people try to make Jesus into a socialist or the early church into a socialist. Some people try to make Jesus into a communist or Jesus into a capitalist. The law of the Spirit was working in their heart. And if someone had need, they filled that need. They didn't need some hierarchy of governmental understanding. They just saw needs and met needs. So as soon as you see the church forming... They're taking the gospel, they're meeting needs, they're doing community, they love each other. Now today, there's so much division and debate and this and that. The early church, if they showed up in, you know, in our context, they, they'd just be like, well, that guy has a need, let's just, let's do an offering, that makes sense. They were together, they had things in common, they sold possessions and goods. I mean, have, have we ever sold anything to meet a need? Have we, I mean, this is what they did in the Bible. They divided things among themselves as anyone had need. They, it says they, they went daily to the temple, daily to the temple to break bread house to house. <clears throat> you know, I think there's something about, I'm going to make a statement and I'm not dogmatic about it. But I think we've gotten to a point 2,000 years later where we're so desperate to get people to go to once a week church. We're so desperate. Please come to church. Because we've completely let go of what about in the Bible where they loved each other so much they were every, every, every day they were together. In the Bible, they met daily. They, they prayed daily. They broke bread. They ate food together, gladness, simplicity of heart. They praised God. They had favor. And Guys, when, when a culture within a culture is so loving and together, of course they're going to have favor. The, the, the surrounding culture is going to say, they have what I want. The church is always supposed to be, it's, it's supposed to be a subculture within a larger culture where we emulate, here's what the kingdom of God looks like. Here's what love looks like. Here's what a transcendent value system looks like. We are to exist as a people that lives in such a way that others go, hey, I like that. And I'm not, you know, not everybody's going to like Christians. Not everybody's going to like, you know, the church. There's always going to be, as we're going to look at next, opposition. But in the book of Acts, they lived in such a way that there was favor because they were provocative. They, they loved each other. They cared for each other. I mean, they set up, there was at one point where the early apostles said, look, we're praying and preaching the gospel. We don't have time, but raise up some people to take care of the widows. Raise up some people to take care of that group. Raise up people to do I know this gets a little touchy because I believe there's a role for the church and the government to meet needs in, in society. 
But in the, in the Bible, the group that stepped up immediately to meet needs was the church of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, there were people designated to pray and preach, and there were also people designated to take bread to people who needed bread. I mean, they, they began to put structure in place and elders in every town. And I mean, I want this because it's biblical. Now, number seven, one of the prominent themes, we're going to wrap this up in a minute. One of the prominent themes that we cannot gloss over, it's not popular today, but I'm telling you, if we have real revival, if the church begins to grow, the word that Acts uses most often is multiplication. <laughs> if multiplication begins happening, you know, today people are into division. Back then they did multiplication. That's the arithmetic that happened in the book of Acts. I want more multiplication, but when that happens, when revival multiplies, when we have, like I said in Acts 19.20, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, winning in whole regions, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be martyrdom. Every single believer signs up to follow Jesus to the end. Whether we're martyred or whether we die a natural death, we serve the Lord to the end. And so in the early church, some were miraculously spared. Some laid down their life. We, we don't know the rhyme or the reason. Some were broken out of jail. Some were not. But here's the thing. We pray. We pray not knowing who God's going to spare, but we recognize some are going to be miraculously delivered and some are going to lay their life down and glorify the Lord. Now, here's the thing. When there's opposition, I love how the enemy, he always tries to like get an advantage and he always overplays his hand. So it says in Acts 8 and 1, Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen and a great persecution arose. So Saul's going around breathing threats and murder, it says in one passage. So the top persecutor comes to the surface. And so the church just goes, oh, we'll pray for that guy. Boom, light hits him on the road to Damascus. He's the greatest apostle ever. It's very dangerous to be a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ because you can get saved very easily. <laughs> we don't fear persecutors. Persecutors fear Jesus for real. I'm not afraid of terrorists. I'm not afraid of people like that because when one of them comes to the surface, we just go, Jesus, nuke them. And things like on the road to Damascus, those things happen. God happens to persecutors. And so it's, it's not explicitly stated in Scripture, but I assure you that was a praying early church. They saw Saul of Tarsus and they said, Jesus, nuke that guy with your glory. And so he's just journeying down to the road to Damascus. I am going to keep, ah! you know, he gets just absolutely decimated. And he gets hit so hard the question he asks to that ball of light shining on him brighter than the sun is, who are you, Lord? That's what he said. It's like when you know it's the Lord, that's the first thing out of your mouth. Who are you, Lord? And then it was just like, I, I'm, I'm Jesus, <laughs> whom you're persecuting. It's really hard to resist me. That's what Jesus said to him in that encounter. It's really hard to kick against the goat. If I'm goading you, it's really hard to win against me. You never will. 
And so the more persecution, this is so people are so terrified. I hope what's happening in other places of the world never comes here. No, if it comes here, it's a huge victory. It means we're worth being attacked because our faith is that vibrant. Their faith was so vibrant in the book of Acts that Satan said, I have to attack that. But when Satan attacks it, he overplays his hand and guys like Saul of Tarsus get saved who happens to be the greatest theologian in the history of the earth besides Jesus himself, writes one-third of the Bible. And man, this two-thirds of the book of Acts are about Paul. As if to suggest the early apostles are are all very important, have a role, but when two-thirds of the book of Acts is about Saul of Tarsus, the Holy Spirit saying, this guy is going to provide leadership at an eminent level follow this man, follow this man. And Paul even said, I mean, the boldness of him, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Oh my goodness, like to be able to say that and it be like legit and the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, put that one in the Bible. That's really good. Like what level are you at, Paul? I mean, the verse where it says of Paul, you know, when the sons of Sceva try to do deliverance and, and they say, in the name of that guy over there casting demons out of me, we cast you out. And they're, the, literally the demons say to him, we know Jesus and we know Paul. Who are you? I'm like, if, you're, if the demons themselves say we know Jesus and Paul, Paul, you're at another level. You, uh, so we obviously... We give the highest esteem to the Lord Jesus. And all the rest of us, Paul included, are way over here in this other category, like way far from the glory of that man. He's just completely another level. But like of all the people over here, like all Christians ever, Paul's like a little, (laughs) we're all equally saved. But man, I always say this, if you can write the book of Romans, compare yourself to Paul. You know, I've heard people say, preachers go, well, if I was living when Paul did, I'd, I'd have faith to not need a thorn in the flesh. Pretty sure you would need something way more serious. <laughs> Paul, Paul wrote Romans. He wrote Ephesians. He, two-thirds of the book of Acts are about him. I'm pretty sure one of the upcoming messages on this theme will be we're going to go over the life of Peter and the life of Paul. Pray for me. Because there is just such instruction in his in his life again we don't you know fawn over any person other than jesus but we recognize there was a role paul had that was truly exceeded any man ever and the evidence is he wrote most of the new testament there there was something on him but here's the thing he had to get saved just like us someone had to pray him in just like us He was once a persecutor. And how many persecutors today are going to operate at this level? How many persecutors of the church, you know, whatever country, we just had global prayer night with with Cody Weibel and we're targeting specific areas of the world. And if we just see one Paul, I mean, one Paul can shake a nation. Let's ask for a dozen. Let's ask for a hundred, a thousand. You know, Paul was a first fruits. I think where we're going to see, when it all comes to a full conclusion at the end, we're going to see people, not just one Paul or one Peter, not just one guy healing people with his shadow 
are not just one guy where aprons are healing people that were touching him. We're going to see a many, a people. So opposition, persecution, martyrdom, per, we are to persevere through these seasons. When, when opposition and uh, persecution touch our life, it's to be expected. It should not be thought as a, as a strange thing, like, oh, persecution, I don't know about that. No, if we're doing church effectively, it will touch our life. There will be favor, people will favor us, and then there will be enemies, and they will hate, 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 really hate what we're doing with energy. They'll breathe threats like Saul, I want to kill you. And we go, oh, thank you for showing your hand. We are going to double down on prayer. I, I mean this seriously. There have been, throughout my 20 years as a believer, I have really doubled down on anonymous people. Really. Hard. And I go, God, either save them or move them along. And God, every single time, either they're saved or they're moved along. And that's the power we have as intercessors. If someone wants to show they're on the enemy's side, again, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. They may be one of your greatest friends. Lord, if that enemy is supposed to be my friend one day, if that Saul is supposed to help me one day, save him, God. Save him. Saul got saved. I mean, that's kind of a friend, that's a friend you want in the ministry. I mean, Saul's a tough dude. In fact, uh, and I'm going to end here shortly. I've gone a little long. I was asking my kids, I put this out on Twitter as well, I asked my kids, if, if these four people showed up in our city and they were all speaking at the same time on the same night in different venues, who would you go see? So it was John, Paul, Peter, and the, the author of Hebrews. Who would you want to go see? They all said Paul. But Glory said she wanted to see Paul because he's handsome. <laughs> now, Glory one day is going to read the passage of how many times he was stoned and left for dead. And he may have a few scars, but it's, he, he's handsome. Love you, sweetie, Glory. The last thing I want to make comment on, a major theme in the book of Acts, is overseas missions. The book of Acts starts in a prayer meeting. It ends with overseas missions. We cannot lose this storyline. Okay? One of the greatest things that we've done here in this house of prayer over the years is we've had people come in they pray for a while and they go i'm called to missions and so we send them along happily with money and much encouragement and they go do their calling in missions from prayer to overseas missions and everything in between this is what we're called to do bless the souders bless sally I put it like this, what began as a hot prayer meeting, literally, like steaming hot temperature, what began as a hot prayer meeting, it, 28 chapters later, this fiery gospel is touching overseas regions. Again, going back to the beginning of the sermon, thinking of it as a movie and the opening scene is tumultuous sea travels and shipwrecks and island revivals and a snake hanging on Paul's hand and he shakes it off and the people are like, you must be a God. And he goes, no, I serve Jesus so he protects me. You know, imagine the most epic opening scene 
30 years ago, what started it? Prayer meeting. So brothers and sisters, we're going to keep praying. We're going to take the promises of God in Scripture and those He's spoken to our heart. We're going to pray and we're going to see these things happen. We're going to see Him here at our house of prayer. We're going to see Him in our community. We're going to see Him in our generation. So hold on to those promises. Keep praying. Keep believing. We want to see this stuff more and more. Amen. I will end right there. So Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for what the book of Acts gives us. And now, Holy Spirit, just make it real to our hearts. Bless all who have heard this message and all who will hear the recording or the, you know, on Facebook or whatever, Lord, and just make it real. We want to be 21st century believers who live out 2,000-year-old values because you didn't start a new church. Lord, it's just been one church through the ages, and we want to be the church of Jesus, and we want to value and live out all the things that you've called us to, that you've written in Scripture for us. Lord, tonight we bless every congregation in our community that names the name of Jesus. Lord, let them see breakthroughs of the gospel. Let them them see the Holy Spirit with signs, wonders, and miracles. Lord, let every congregation, every prayer gathering, every Bible study, every discipleship group, everywhere where Jesus is mentioned in our community, big churches, home churches, everything in between, Do mighty works for the glory of God, for the name of Jesus. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.